Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Petty. This week we join the Doctor and Sarah Jane as they are stranded on Exelon and encounter an old enemy in Debt to the Daleks. We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and give you our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story. So to join the discussion you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproduction.com. Now though, Paddy, I'm going to hand over to you for the story recap. Perfecto. Part 1. A man stumbles through a valley filled with smoking hot springs before he's hit in the stomach by an arrow, causing him to fall into one of the bubbling pools. On the TARDIS, the Doctor sings, Oh, I do like to be beside the seaside, whilst twirling a parasol. Sarah Jane enters the console room wearing a bathing suit in preparation for the trip to Florana that the Doctor had convinced her to go on. She points out a flashing light on the power console to the Doctor, but before he can say anything, the console sparks and the power goes out. The Doctor activates the backup systems, but they also start to fail and the TARDIS crash lands. He tells Sarah Jane to quickly activate the external view screen to see what's outside. Unfortunately, they are only able to catch a momentary glimpse of a swirling fog bank before the power completely dies. The Doctor is perplexed at the complete loss of power and tells Sarah Jane to get a nearby torch, but it also dies after only a few moments. He then takes out an old oil lantern and he then uses a hand crank to open the doors. They go outside and Sarah Jane sarcastically comments on the fact that they are not on Florana. The Doctor starts to retort but stops when Sarah Jane lets out a shock gasp at figures in the darkness. The Doctor points the lamp at them and sees that they are the petrified remains of some type of creature. He notices that the soil seems to be dead as well and says that whatever has damaged the planet has also stopped the TARDIS and it is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. Sarah Jane says that they should repair the TARDIS and leave, but the Doctor says they can't until they discover the source of the energy drain. She then goes back inside the TARDIS to put on some warmer clothes. Unbeknownst to them, they are being observed by a pair of cloaked figures who follow the Doctor when he goes to survey the surrounding area and abduct him. Sarah Jane exits the TARDIS and goes looking for him. She comes across the abandoned lantern, but when she picks it up, she discovers it is covered in blood. She then notices figures moving in the shadows and flees back to the TARDIS. She cranks the doors closed, not realising that one of the cloaked figures has snuck on board. The figure approaches her and she bludgeons him to the ground. She cranks open the doors again and uses the crank to beat the figure before again fleeing out into the valley, pursued by more of the cloaked figures. She manages to give her pursuers the slip and then notices a large flashing light in the sky that illuminates the city. Making sure she isn't being followed, she makes her way up to the city in the hills. Meanwhile, the doctor is being led through a valley by a pair of rope figures, but he manages to get free of his binds and knocks out his captors. He wanders through the valley for several hours until sunrise, whereupon he spots a booby trap in the path ahead of him. He activates it and takes cover as a large boulder plunges down from the hill above him. Suddenly, a uniformed man emerges from hiding and attacks the doctor with a knife. The duo struggle for a few moments, but another man appears wielding a bow and tells his colleague to stop. They tell the doctor to follow them to their hideout, where they can talk safely. They lead him to a makeshift prefab cabin, where he sees a young woman tending to a wounded man. The man with the bow introduces himself as Captain Railson, the second in command of the group, and says the injured man is their leader, Commander Stewart. He introduces the girl as Jill, their geologist, and the other man as Lieutenant Galloway, their weapons officer. Railton says that they are members of the Marine Space Corps, and Galloway then questions the Doctor. He tells him about the TARDIS and Sarah Jane, and admits he is worried that her headstrong nature may have caused her to leave the safety of the ship. They tell him that she should be safe during the day, as the Exelons, who are the roped figures, seem to be nocturnal by nature. However, they say that if she went to their forbidden city, she could be in trouble, and they show him reconnaissance pictures that they managed to take of it. 
A short while later, as they sit down to eat, they explain that when their ship neared Exelon, its power failed and they were forced to make an emergency landing. The Doctor asks what their mission was, and Railton and Galloway share a concerned look, but Jill answers that they were sent to collect perineum, a rare but vital chemical compound that is, seems to be abundant on Exelon. The Doctor asks what it is used for, and they all seem perplexed by this, and Jill says it is needed to combat the plague that is currently ravaging the galaxy, and it needs to be harvested fast in order to prevent the rising death toll. Railton says they managed to send out an SOS before they were forced to land, but Galloway is doubtful that it was received. Suddenly, the sentry, Lieutenant Hamilton, enters and says that the relief ship has arrived and they all rush out to see it as it begins landing in the next valley. However, after they leave, a pair of Exelons enter the cabin. At the city, Sarah Jane makes her way around the outskirts trying to find a way in, but is captured by an Exelon. She is brought into a large ornate chamber and tied up. A short while later, a chanting procession of Exelons enters and she sees that underneath their robes, their faces resemble desiccated brown skulls with translucent globes for eyes. A red skull priest follows the procession and decrees that she is to be put to death for her transgressions. Back at the landing site, the Doctor and the others watch as the ship descends and they are shocked to see that it is not an Earth ship, but a Dalek one, and watch as a squad of them emerges from it. The Dalek commander orders them to be exterminated, and they open fire. Part 2. The Daleks are confused to see that their weapons don't work, and the Doctor mocks them over their inability to cause harm. He reveals that the Daleks must have also been affected by the energy-draining nature of the planet, and says that they will need to work together in order to leave it. The Daleks refuse to cooperate, citing their superior nature, but Railton echoes the Doctor's statements and says that they also need to work together to avoid attacks from the Exelons. The Daleks retreat to consider the offer, and the Doctor warns Railton and the others not to trust them. Galloway says that they don't need the Daleks, but the Doctor says their scientific abilities would be a benefit in getting off the planet. The Daleks agree, informing the Doctor that their own empire is being ravaged by the plague. However, after he goes to tell the others, the Daleks secretly agree to withhold their actual desire for the perineum, as well as their true contingent on the ship. The two groups gather together and Railton says that he should go to the mining dome that they had set up in order to extract the perineum. En route, they are ambushed by a group of Exelons and Railton is killed by an arrow. Jill goes to tend to him, but the Doctor says they need to get to safety and they take cover in a sand pit. Seeing that the Daleks are unable to use their weapons, several Exelons rush one of them and damage it, causing it to explode. The Doctor notices another group of Exelons approaching and Jill says that they have Stuart, who orders them to surrender. Left with little choice, the group gives themselves up and are led away. Their capture is monitored by a Dalek scout who returns to the ship to alert the rest of the crew. In the city, Sarah Jane is drugged with incense by the priest in preparation for her sacrifice. The prisoners are led through the chamber and the doctor sees her. When he is told that she is to be sacrificed, he breaks free of his guards and rushes towards her, using his Venusian Aikido to get past the large group of attendants. However, he is eventually overpowered and knocked unconscious. His actions, though, successfully disrupt the ceremony, and Sarah Jane is thrown into the cells with the rest of the prisoners. She slowly comes to her senses and sees Jill tending to the doctor, and she explains what he did. In another part of the cell, Galloway quietly gives out about the doctor's actions, saying that they have no hope of bargaining with the Exelons now. Hamilton says that he couldn't just let Sarah Jane die, but Galloway says the others are expendable and only the mission matters. The Daleks interrupt their conversation and say they will offer the Exelons some of their advanced technology in return for their release. The guards go to inform the High Priest, and he summons the Daleks to his chambers. The Doctor, Sarah Jane and Jill discuss these events, and the Doctor says that he and Sarah Jane will most likely be used as bargaining chips by them as well as Galloway. A short while later, the Doctor and Sarah Jane are taken away, and the Daleks inform Galloway and the others that the Exelons have agreed to strike a bargain once the sacrifice is completed. 
The Daleks then tell him to follow, but before Galloway leaves, Stuart calls him over and tells him that he is not fit for command and instructs him to inform Hamilton that he is now in command. Stuart then dies and Galloway pretends not to have heard him. Back on the Dalek ship, the Daleks have successfully managed to adjust their weapons so that they fire projectiles instead and they test them by killing a pair of Exelons that were spying on the ship. In the chamber, the Exelon priest is drugging the Doctor and Sarah Jane as the prisoners watch on. Suddenly, a squad of Daleks burst into the chamber and kills several of the Exelons. The Doctor and Sarah Jane use the confusion as a chance to escape, and the Doctor explains what the Daleks are to her as they flee through a tunnel behind the sacrificial altar. As they go down the tunnel, Sarah Jane realises that whatever was the next part of the ceremony was to take place down the tunnel, and the Doctor agrees. Suddenly, they hear a roar from further down the tunnel and cautiously make their way towards it. Meanwhile, the Exelons surrender to the Daleks and agree to help them under threat of extermination. Galloway then suggests that they should use him to mine the perineum, but he is shocked when the Daleks inform him that he is to obey their commands. He is then brought into conference with the High Priest and a deal is struck. Galloway returns to Jill and Hamilton and tells them that the Exelons will help mine the perineum, but in return they are to kill a splinter group of Exelons. They are horrified by this, as well as Galloway's dismissive comments about the Exelons being primitives. He then says that the Doctor and Sarah Jane are to be also to be killed, and they watch as a pair of Daleks make their way down the tunnel. At a junction in the tunnel, the Doctor tells Sarah Jane to wait while he scouts one of the branching corridors. After a while, she hears a sound from close by, and she recoils in shock when a grey-skulled Exelon appears from behind a wall. Down the tunnel, the Doctor is stopped by a cycloptic snake-like creature that rears up in front of him. Part 3 the Doctor dodges as the creature attacks, and he watches as the ground bursts into flames wherever it strikes. Meanwhile, the grey called Exelon tells Sarah Jane that he means her no harm and introduces himself as Bilal. He says that he is from the Splinter Group of Exelon Society, and tells her he will explain everything to her once they have gotten to safety. Sarah Jane says that they can't leave without the Doctor, indicating down the corridor he went, but Bilal says that it may be too late to save him. Sarah Jane begs him to try, but before they can do anything, another of the Grey Exelons arrives and warns them about the approaching Daleks. They take cover and watch as the Daleks split up, and one of them goes down the same corridor as the Doctor. Sarah Jane tries to follow, but Bilal and his colleagues stop her, saying that there's nothing else that can be done. At that moment, the Doctor is hiding from the creature, and he sees the Dalek approaching and watches as the creature attacks it. The creature seems to be immune to the Dalek's attacks, and the Doctor cheers it on as it destroys the Dalek. The sounds of the fight are heard back in the main chamber, and Sarah Jane says that they should go and help, but again the Exelons say it is too dangerous. They take cover when they hear somebody coming back up the corridor, and they see a Dalek gunstock appear at the entrance. However, they are revealed to see that the Doctor is the one wielding it, and Sarah Jane rushes out to give him a hug. The Doctor explains what happened, but Bilal warns him that the other Dalek is returning, and they flee through a secret passage. They take a break, and the Doctor says that they need to help the humans before the Daleks turn on them. Bilal says that he has spies observing them and leads them back to his base for an update. At a mining site, Galloway observes as a group of Exelons excavate a seam of perineum. A Dalek overseer says that they are going too slow as a result of their primitive equipment and orders Galloway to round up more workers. Galloway says that the priests may object to this, but the Dalek says that if more workers aren't sent, then the priests and the other leaders will be killed. Galloway is shocked by this and again says the priest may refuse, but the Dalek leaves after ordering Galloway to obey him. In the tunnel system, Bilal tells the Doctor and Sarah Jane the history of Exelon, informing them that it was once a highly technological advanced society and their ultimate creation was the city, which they made sentient and self-sufficient. The city turned on the Exelons and devastated much of their population, and those that were made now worship it as a god, 
save Bilal and his followers who wish to destroy it. Bilal then shows them a set of hieroglyphs carved into the wall, and the Doctor recognises them as being similar to ones on an Incan temple in Peru. Sarah Jane says that it is impossible, but he tells her that archaeologists have debated for years as to how primitive civilizations could have built such structures. He voices his belief that the Exelons visited Earth and taught humanity how to build these temples. Back at the dig site, Jill and Hamilton, who are working alongside the Exelons, overhear a group of Daleks discussing their plan to detonate explosives at a beacon on top of the city, thinking that it is the source of the energy drain. Suddenly, one of the snake-like creatures, which is actually an extension of the city itself, emerges from a lake near the dig site and kills one of the workers, causing the others to flee in terror. A Dalek guard tries to shoot it, but it ends up being destroyed as well. One of Bilal's spies witnesses the events and goes to report it to Bilal and the others, whilst the Daleks order the digging to begin in a new location. Jill is then sent with them, whilst Galloway and Hamilton are brought to the city to help place the explosives. Outside the city, the Doctor expresses his admiration for the structure of it before informing Sarah Jane that she won't be going in with him. She initially objects, but he tells her that he needs her to go and convince Galloway and the others to get as much premium on board their ship as they can and leave once the energy drain is stopped. He tells her that once the drain is stopped, then the Daleks will most likely turn on them and kill them in order to keep the premium for themselves. She agrees to go, and he tells her that if he doesn't come back from the city, then she is to leave with them, a thought that causes her concern, but she agrees nonetheless. The Doctor follows Bilal to the city, and he looks at the hieroglyphs carved around the walls of the city. Suddenly, a pair of Daleks appear and open fire at them, but the Doctor manages to open a hidden door by pressing a hieroglyph, and they rush into safety. Inside, they find the skeletal remains of several Exelons that they realise opened the same door but became trapped inside. The Doctor looks around the room and realises that the carvings are actually a series of intelligence tests that must be passed in order to gain further access into the city. The next test is a carving of a maze that they must find the correct route through, which they successfully manage to do so. They go into the next chamber, unaware that the Daleks have also discovered the answer to the first door and have entered the city behind them. They make their way down a corridor, but the Doctor suddenly stops Bilal from walking onto a red and white segmented floor. Part 4 The Doctor assesses the floor and says he thinks it is another logic test. He then takes out his sonic screwdriver and it detects electrical fields emanating from certain segments on the floor. He then leads Bilal safely across it using the screwdriver to locate the electrified segments and together they make their way into the next chamber. They find the next room empty and the Doctor voices his belief that they are actually being guided by an unseen figure, who unbeknownst to them is actually watching them through a video monitor. They search the room for any clue as to what to do next. Bilal tries one section of the wall that suddenly emits a pulsing white light and he slowly turns to face the Doctor, aiming the Dalek gunstock at him. The Doctor notices and activates his sonic screwdriver in an attempt to snap Bilal out of his hypnotic state. It works and a hidden doorway opens for them to proceed. Meanwhile, the Daleks get through the second puzzle and come across the segmented floor. One of them crosses it and activates several of the electrified segments, damaging its shielding in the process. The other Dalek uses its weapon to shoot the floor to destroy the electrified panels and then safely crosses after its colleague. However, before they leave, they see the floor repair itself, letting them know that the city is capable of repairing itself. Out of the dig site, Sarah Jane carefully avoids the Dalek sentries and finds Jill sleeping. She wakes her up and informs her of the doctor's plan. Jill tells her that they have several bags of prunium ready to be transported, but says they have no way of moving them without the Daleks noticing. Sarah Jane then gets an idea and tells her to gather up a few empty bags and tells Jill to start filling them with anything that they can and to be ready to move if the doctor succeeds. Outside the city, 
Galloway and Hamilton arrive with a Dalek who orders them to start placing the explosives or else Jill will be killed. With no other choice, the duo start to climb up towards the beacon. They eventually reach the top, but Galloway insists that they keep one of the explosive packs for themselves so they can use it against the Daleks. Inside the city, the Doctor and Bilal continue through the corridors, and Bilal comments on the fact that they haven't encountered any tests in a while. The Doctor wonders why the tests are there in the first place, and comes to the conclusion that it is to gauge the intelligence and skill of any that encounters them. They then arrive in a room filled with skeletons, and the Doctor says that the next test will most likely be one that challenges their sanity. The room then grows dark before suddenly being filled with a kaleidoscopic display of lights and colours. Despite the intensity of the assault, the duo are able to retain their sanity and they watch as a section of the wall disappears, showing them the control room where the mysterious figure is sitting. They then watch in shock as he slowly crumbles to dust and the doctor says the rush of fresh air into the room must have destroyed the preserving effect on the body. Bilal then points out a bank of computers. The doctor says it must be the brain of the city and he starts working on a way to damage it. Bilal scouts around and alerts the doctor to a pair of figures slowly materialising in a pair of tubes in the corner. The doctor says it is another defence mechanism of the city and hurries to complete his work. Back at the dig site, a Dalek sentry notices that Jill is missing and causes itself to self-destruct due to panicking over its failure in its duty. Inside the control room, the two figures fully materialise and capture Bilal and the doctor just as he finishes tinkering with the city's mainframe. However, the Daleks enter the room and the figures go to attack them instead and prove immune to their weaponry. The Doctor and Bilal use the confusion as a chance to escape and flee towards the entrance of the city. One of the Daleks has its gunstock ripped out and its colleague tells it to retreat whilst it lays down covering fire. However, the Doctor's rewiring causes the city to malfunction and their escape is impeded by the chamber doors closing and opening. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Bilal safely manage to escape and make their way to the dig site to stop the Daleks from killing the humans. At the dig site, Galloway and Hamilton return and are informed by the Daleks that they are to load the Perineum onto the ship so they can leave as soon as the explosives destroy the beacon. Hamilton demands to know where Jill is and is told of her escape before being sent to load the Perineum. At that moment, Sarah Jane and Jill have reunited with the Doctor and Bilal and inform him that the Earth ship is ready to take off, but they need Galloway and Hamilton to pilot it. Suddenly the beacon explodes and the energy drain ceases, but Jill's joy is short-lived as they are captured by a Dalek sentry. They are then joined by Hamilton and are told by the Dalek commander that they are to be left behind on the planet. The Dalek commander then says that his ship will fire a plague missile to the surface, killing them and contaminating the entire stockpile of perineum on the planet. The Dalek ship then takes off and Sarah Jane reveals that the Daleks have decoy bags that she and Jill prepared during the night. Hamilton wonders where Galloway is and he receives his answer when the Dalek ship suddenly explodes, making him realise that Galloway sacrificed himself to stop the Daleks. The Doctor tells them to make sure his sacrifice isn't in vain and they need to quickly leave with the perineum. Sarah Jane then points to the city and they watch as it crumbles to pieces whilst the death cries fill the air, causing the Doctor to mourn its loss. End of the story. So, another story down, which means another trivia spot is about to occur. So, what Yay. have we got this week? <laughs> Yay! Trivia spot. We like a trivia spot jingle, but I don't have the imagination to create one. So, we just have Paddy singing instead. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to think, like, because every time that I say trivia spot, the intro for Dot's Poetry Corner from Animaniacs <laughs> co- comes into my head. So, I'm like, should I get like a pair of bongos and just have like a double bass playing in the background? <laughs> Maybe. 
We now return to Trisha's trivia spot. <laughs> so the air date for Death of the Daleks is the 23rd of February to the 16th of March, 1974. Which is interesting only because I watched this story yesterday, which was the 23rd of February. <laughs> <laughs> inky dink. Yeah, massive quinky dink. <laughs> the writer for the story is Terry Nation. Now, this is story 8 of 11 for Terry. We previously discussed his work in The Daleks, The Keys of Marinus, The Dalek Invasion of Earth, The Chase, Mission to the Unknown, The Daleks Master Plan, and Planet of the Daleks. We will see Terry's work again in Genesis of the Daleks, The Android Invasion, and Destiny of the Daleks. The director of this story is Michael Bryant. This is directing credit 4 out of 6 for Michael. We previously saw his work in Colony in Space, The Sea Devils, and The Green Death. And he has two more stories, which will be Revenge of the Cybermen and The Robots of Death. So this story had a couple of working titles. Dalek Story was one of them. Which is <laughs> a bit on the nose, I think. Just a tad. Uh, the Exelons with one X, which is sometimes referred to as Doctor Who and the Exelons. And then the Exelons with two Xs, also sometimes referred as Doctor Who and the Exelons. Hmm. Originally, the story didn't feature any Daleks at all. <laughs> but they were included because basically Barry and Terrence were like, hey, let's do a Dalek story. Everyone likes Dalek stories. Let's do a Dalek story. That, I think, because uh, we'll get into the overall, but I think that is blatantly obvious. Yeah. As you as you watch it. Yeah, it's you... clearly, like, I think the Exelons was one story. And then they're like, we need a Dalek story. And they possibly just smushed. Yeah, like, there is there, there is two separate stories in this four parter. Yeah, and I will give thoughts on that later on. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this story is the first time that a Dalek's weapon does not function on screen, and it also showed that the Daleks can make modifications relatively quickly because they're able to change out their energy weapon for like, um, kinetic weapons, so to say, fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And this is the last story where their weapons aren't just a variant of the ray gun. Everything else will be ray guns all the way down. This is the last third Doctor story to feature the TARDIS console room. And mm. it's actually the last story to feature it until Planet of Evil. Which I didn't realise until I read it. And I was like, actually, yeah, we don't see the console room again until Planet of Evil. Fuck it, you're right. Which is ages away. Harry That's... never sees the console room. Like, on screen. Obviously, he sees it, like, off screen. Uh, but Harry never sees the console room. Fucking hell yeah. That's that's an that's an entire season and a half if you were to take the next two stories and the first one of season, what yeah. is it, 13? Yeah. Christ. It's also the first story where we see Sarah Jane in the console room, which we won't see again until Planet yeah. of Evil. We also get to see what actually lights up the TARDIS console room. Um, I think in the past, the opinion, the impression I got was that the the circles glowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, apparently there's just hexagonal lights that are up, high up on the wall <laughs> that we just never saw before. <laughs> A lot of the Dalek casings used in the story dated back to the 1960s. This was just because the casings for Planet of the Daleks just weren't great. Mm-hmm. The cliffhanger for part three. I'm going to give a little spoiler to my overall thoughts. Cliffhanger for part three is a bit shit. As as was personal thing, the cliffhanger to part one. 
Yeah, I, th- I think there was a better pa- place to Cliffhanger Part 1. Um, Cliffhanger Part 3, though, is the Doctor and Bilal turn a corner, go to step on the pattern on the floor, and the Doctor says, stop, don't move. And we have a cliffhanger. Yeah. It's the floor. Yeah, because like, it literally just shows the floor. Yeah, it, it's, 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 <gasps> it has a pattern, <laughs> holy shit. Like, if, it, if they had said, stop, don't move, and then showed nothing. That would have been kind of cool. Yeah, or because stop, like, don't move, and like you had like you know something fall out of Bilal's hand onto the floor or something. Like, is it like a giant pit? Is there just someone in the way? Yeah, like leave it up to the mystery. Or what does the floor do? <laughs> Why are we afraid of the floor? Oh god, this is the gazebo thing all over again. <laughs> <laughs> the original cliffhanger was actually going to be um, when the doctor is trying to answer the logic test with the symbols, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the two Daleks appear. And it specifically would have been zooming in on the Dalek guns pointing at the Doctor. That would have worked. Which would, would have worked a lot better. It would have. But for timing reasons, it had to be moved to later in the story. Uh, and we're afraid of the floor. Uh, I suppose before we go any further, the, the cliffhanger to part one, mm. it has the Daleks opening fire. But what it is, is like it's basically the effect or like the sound that the, the, the stalks make as like mm. the guys operate them. But obviously, there's no sound effect. I think once they had started the fire, they should have immediately put in like the the title music to yeah. cover the, the fact that there was no there was nothing happening. There yeah. was no la- <laughs> there was no laser sound because like it it just sounds like really shit production value. It sounds like someone who's trying to clean a whisk. Yes, you, know, you make this the whisk smaller and bigger as you're trying to like clean off yeah. the cake from it or something. Yeah. So the humanoid antibodies that the city created, um, they were played by Terry Walsh and Stephen Ismay. They're uncredited, but they are credited on screen. They're uncredited on screen, but Radio Times credited them as zombies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Exelon masks were designed by costume designer L. Roland Warren and created by visual effects supervisor John Friedlander. This was the final televised Dalek story that doesn't feature their creator. Or use the traditional of the Daleks up until the reboot of the show in 2005. So every other Dalek story either has their creator in it and or is of the Daleks. Yeah. I was trying to figure it out in my head there going, no, no, wait. Oh, yes. I get now. (laughs) The pattern on the floor, um, we may see again or see something similar again in The Five Doctors. In the tomb of Rassilon, kind of mm-hmm. similar. The Marine Space Corps insignia, uh, if you're a science fiction fan, may look familiar to you. It kind of looks a little bit like the Starfleet symbol, but rotated 90 degrees counterclockwise. And it also looks a little bit like the Federation symbol from Blake 7, if you put it upside down. Right. Originally, Patty Russell was actually meant to be directing this story, and she said no. Uh, she had no interest in directing a story about the Daleks or any other quote-unquote tin can robots. Obviously, we discussed the other week that she instead directed Invasion of the Dinosaurs. And, like, I think that's very much within your... I think you and Patty Russell, like, have, a, like, our kindred spirits because you like the human element of yeah. villainy as yeah. opposed to the machine-based side of things. Yeah, I do. Unless it's the Borg, because the Borg are cool. Yeah, but the Borg are... <laughs> the book, cool. Yeah. Um, Michael Bryant felt this was the least interesting serial he worked on. 
that the story had nothing to hang on to and he didn't really know what it was about. <laughs> we'll see in our overall if we agree with Michael on that one. Axelon was originally meant to be a jungle planet, which is a big difference from the quarry planet that it turned mm. out to be. Mm-hmm. Originally in the story, the Daleks escaped with the cure, but the humans worked with the Exelons to get them back on the path to advancement and were given more of the cure in return. Um, I kind of like the ending we got a bit better. Yeah. Jill was originally conceived as the equivalent of a, quote, Israeli girl soldier. I don't know what they mean by that. I know. I, I think it's by virtue of the fact that, like, in Israel, everyone has, like, mandatory military service. Mm. And because she's a civilian attache, they say, like, she's her civilian geologist. Yep. She's attached to the Marine Space Corps. Maybe she's doing her time of service within the military uh, complex. But then if they're meant, to, if it's meant to be that way, then why not give her a rank as opposed to emphasizing that she's a civilian? As well, that was, it was originally conceived. Yeah. So, like, that I don't know. But I think maybe that's the explanation behind it. Originally, the Exelons were meant to be kind of bat-like creatures. And one of the subterranean Exelons named Gotel, so not Bilal, the other one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his name was meant to be Jabal. Hmm. Which I think is a nice name than Gotel, but whatever. The shooting schedule for this actually had to be reworked a bit because John Pertwee was delayed. Um, he had a severe attack of a, his chronic back condition and so he was severely delayed also Elizabeth Sladen hurt her ankle when she was running around in those high heel boots in the mud mm-hmm. um, but she had mostly finished her location material so it actually didn't impact filming overall Michael liked having silver coloured Daleks right, so we've seen some other colours now over the years, he liked having silver ones because he wanted to recapture how they looked in black and white I kind of like yeah. that yeah, I like that as well. Plus, I think like you know, again, it just adds elements to like the Dalek society, like that the you know the silver are like recon Daleks or like the metallic you know the metallic gray ones we usually see are like frontline troops or whatever mm. the case may be. This story was the first story that Robert Holmes oversaw. He was shadowing Terence at the time as script editor, so Bob oversaw this one, and it's believed he came up with the title because he doesn't like the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> you and me, Bob. You me. Good, old, good old Bob. Okay, let's go on to our cast. So we've got four main characters that we're going to be discussing today. So the first is Bilal, who's played by Arnold Yarrow. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Arnold. Actually, I was going to say it now. He's the only Doctor Who acting credit for any of them. His non-Who credits include Macbeth, The Andromeda Breakthrough, Coronation Street, Softly Softly, Softly Softly Task Force, The Aneedon Line, and EastEnders. He is the sixth actor from Doctor Who to reach his 100th birthday. The others were Louis Alexander, Zora Sagal, Olaf Pooley, Peggy Batchelor, and Earl Cameron. He is currently the oldest living actor to have appeared in the series. Jill Tarrant is played by Joy Harrison. As I mentioned, only Doctor Who acting credit. Her non-Who credits include Silent Witness, Colorblind, Melissa, The Heart Surgeon, The Bill, Space 1999, and Harriet's Back in Town. Peter Hamilton is played by Julian Fox. His non-who credits include No Hiding Place, The Troubleshooters, Colditz, The Naked Civil Servant, Secret Army, and Bergerac. Lastly, as Dan Galloway, we have Duncan Lamont. His non-who credits include The Quartermass Experiment, Opportunity Murder, The Other Man, The Texan, Quartermass in the Pit, Dixon of Doc Green, and Poldark. Duncan passed away in 1978. 
Now, I have two bits of trivia, one related to this and one is a sad piece. So which would you like to hear first? I think I know what the sad piece is. So why don't you do the other one first and we'll end on the sad note. Okay, so the other one is the guy that plays uh, Captain Railton. Uh, we don't really talk about him because he's only one episode. That's John Abenary. Yep. Uh, who we've seen in other stories such as uh, Fury, Fury, sorry, Fury from the Deep and Ambassadors of Death. Yes. Now, interesting thing, right? Mm-hmm. He appeared in the third Doctor's third story, mm-hmm. and he now appears in the third Doctor's third last story. <laughs> Very cyclical. Look at you looking at patterns. <laughs> yes, <laughs> seeing patterns and shapes everywhere. <laughs> And I suppose, yeah, the the sad uh, note is that uh, Stuart Bevan, who we recently discussed in Green Debt mm-hmm. and was once upon a time a uh, partner of Katie Manning, has unfortunately passed away. Yeah. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Cool. And now we are on to our character discussion. So, this is the way I have it set up. Let me know if you agree, Paddy. So, we have the Doctor. Duh. Mm-hmm. We have the companions of Sarah Jane. And then the story-based companion of Bilal. Then I did prominent characters of Jill, Hamilton, and Galloway. And then villains of the Daleks and the Exelons. I did the exact same. Cool. So, the Doctor. Yes, the Doctor. Would I go first or will you go first? <laughs> Uh, I'll go first. Uh, dude, she asked you not to leave her alone, and after agreeing, it took you a grand old two seconds to fuck off. Yep. Like, literally, she said, don't leave. She, she went to go in and get her clothes, came back, said, don't leave. You said, of course, and then you fucked off. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but curiosity. Curiosity kills the cat. Well, just curious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys, I'm not the biggest fan of how he treats Sarah in this one. Um... He doesn't really seem to take her fears seriously and he kind of plays them off a bit more than I would like. Hmm. He does cotton on eventually, but like, he's like, oh, you'll be fine. And then he realizes she's actually scared shitless. And it's like, okay, let me explain why I'm leaving you here by yourself. You know? Yeah. Um, in fairness, though, this is only their third adventure together and at least in show continuity, mm-hmm. we need to double check in books, but at least in show continuity, this picks up right after their previous one, which picked up right after their first one. Yeah. So we haven't had a lot of downtime between them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you picked it up on it. I just think he's very dismissive of her very genuine fears. I think. See, I think at the start, because uh, for my notes here, right, and it's something that it really harkens back to all the way to an unearthly child, mm. the curious doctor, the explorer, you know? Yeah, and he, he's curious as to like everything that's going on, and he wants to explore. So that aspect of his nature takes over here, and in a, in a shitty way because he focuses on his curiosity more so than Sarah Jane's safety. However, I think as the story goes on, I don't think he's trying to necessarily make up for it, but he's definitely more concerned with her safety, like to the extent of that he charges into an entire group of people to try and rescue her rather than trying to negotiate for her safety. Oh yeah, I mean, I think I think he cares for her safety i just don't Mm. think he recognizes how terrified she is no um i think i have a headcanon explanation to that okay what is it my headcanon explanation as to that is he saw how well she handled herself with uh links Mm. 
And he also saw how well she like took care of herself in the invasion of the dinosaurs. Mm. I think he got too used to, uh, to the idea of her being so strong and independent that he he thinks of her concerns as concerns more than fears. Maybe, and that would make sense. I think it's specifically a the fact that he fucked off after two seconds. Yeah. Um, but also like when he's like, okay, I'm gonna go down this path for half a mile, mm-hmm. which means I'm gonna be gone for like ten, fifteen minutes. Yeah. Um, you stay here, and she's like, no, I want to go with you. And he's like, well, I don't want something creepy up on me. I was like, so you want something <laughs> creepy up on her? Yeah. Like that makes no fucking sense. <laughs> it, it do- no, it doesn't. Um, it pushes the story along because obviously how we meet Bilal, but um, I don't know. It just sort of robbed me the wrong way. He kind of comes around to it at the end, you know, and he obviously very much cares for her. Like you said, he does attack the priests in order to save her. He, you know, he's like, you know, go with Jill and the humans. If I don't come back, he's obviously very concerned about her in that respect. Yeah, I was actually going to say, like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, if I don't make it back, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to go back to your own time, but go to safety with the other humans. Yeah, I'm surprised that he didn't say, like, go back to the TARDIS and she'll take you back or something like that. But at the same time, he knows she'll be safe in the human ship. Mm. Um, We kind of see this happen from time to time in Doctor Who. The Doctor will have a sort of, if I don't come back type thing. Usually it's the the TARDIS will take care of you. Um, but I, I kind of actually prefer the idea that here he's like, he doesn't know if the TARDIS will work. He doesn't know what state the TARDIS will be in after being having no power for so long. Yeah. He's like, just go with the humans and they'll take care of you. I think it's, I think it's quite sweet. Um, mm-hmm. Not what she wanted to hear at the time, obviously. No. Uh, but I do think it's quite sweet. The one thing I do like about him in the story is I like how he is with Bilal. Mm. But that may be more about Bilal and I'll get to him in a while. I think it's probably more to do with Bilal as well. Yeah. Um, mm. But he is very good with Bilal um, mm. and very considerate and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like, you know, we get to see him sciencing it up. We get to see him being the action hero and whatever. Um, I just would have liked to have seen him be a little bit more considerate of other people's fears. Yeah. He's been around humans long enough. You know, he shouldn't need to be reminded of that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. As I said, like, the only headcanon answer, answer I have to that is when you get so used to someone being so strong, independent, and independent and strong, strong for yeah. so long, you, you, you don't really take their legitimate fear um, seriously. Hmm. I know I agree with like everything you said there. The only other thing that I just wanted to add was I love the sequence where he's egging on the fucking snake tentacle against the Dalek. He's just like, you know, like, oh, good hit, sir. A very palpable hit and all this. I just thought that was, that, that was fucking funny. Oh, uh, yeah. That was really good. Um, but yeah, no, I've got, like, as I said, the curiosity factor. And um, question for you, right? Yeah. I had this in my, I think I had this in my overall. Oh, yeah, no, it's here. Um, the ending, okay? Mm-hmm. I was wondering, is it a small bit of like, are we seeing like the sea devil's hypocrisy rearing its head again? Because he, he, he tinkers with it, you know, like to like effectively, no, maybe he was only tinkering with it to just deact because he said he wanted to give it a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Do you think his like sense of law, you know, his sadness at seeing it die? Because he says it was one of the 700 
uh, wonders of the universe. He says, no, there's only 699 left. Do you think that's actually genuine? Or do you kind of call it a small bit of hypocrisy? Based I think on there's what... a little bit of hypocrisy there because we never actually find out if it was the explosion destroying the beacon mm-hmm. that caused it to melt or if it was the doctor making it have a nervous breakdown or both. Mm. Um, I think there's a certain level. I think I think... I don't think he wanted to give it a nervous breakdown. I think he would have rather there be someone in there that he can negotiate with yeah. to just stop stealing power. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seem to be like a little bit hypocritical that he's like, oh, this is so sad. I was like, well, you knew this was going to happen. so Yeah, because like, I think like they're trying to emote like the Silurian response, but I think it just ends up looking across like the sea devils. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I'd yeah. agree. Cool. Um, so, Sarah Jane. An interesting first exploration of a new planet for Sarah. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I find really interesting is that you've said it yourself, you know, she's faced Iron Gron, she faced what was possibly last week actually being in space mm-hmm. and walking out an airlock. Um, you know, we've seen her be incredibly brave and incredibly resourceful. However, her first exploration of a new planet, she's like, nope, yeah. big fucking nope, which I think is completely understandable. She's completely freaked out and she doesn't want to be left alone. Neither would I. But there's one thing as well like that I think it's very easy to overlook is that we're given the impression that it's meant to be pitch black. Obviously, yeah. the studio lighting has to give us yeah. something to fucking see. But the lantern seems to be the only source of light in the area. So the fact that it's fucking pitch dark is also yeah. legitimate on your first time off planet. That's also a fucking scary thing. Yeah, and like, there may be moonlight or something like that, but that'd be as far yeah. as it goes. So um, I think if this was the first story you were to watch with Sarah, you maybe wouldn't. This is where the screamer Sarah, I think, really sort of comes to the fore. Hmm. But I think it's all completely understandable. I love how she fucking... No. Feel bad for the ex line if you want to, but she bait him with that wrench or that like which well, thing. He's one of the fucking He's one of the bad ones. He's one of the, the bad ones, so like yo, she clattered the fuck out of him. She bait the crap out of him, like not once, but twice. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like go on, keep going. But I do love how when left to her own devices at the end, she does take action. She comes up with the plan for making sure that because we never find out what the Daleks want this unobtainium for. Yeah. They claim it's for the same illness that the humans are talking about, but then we find out later in a side conversation that that's not true. Mm. So we don't know what they want it for. Um, And Sarah's like, well, you said they lie. So odds are they don't want it to cure an illness. Yeah. So they're not going to get any of it. Um, And I love how she did that all on her own. You know, the doctor said to make sure the earth ship was ready to go. That was the only directive she was given. And she was like, well, I'll make sure the Earth ship is ready to go with all of the supplies they need and we'll fuck over the Daleks at the same time. Yeah. No. Um, which I loved. No, yeah, I completely agree. Like, I just... Because like, we get to see... um, Like, her ingenuity is great because like, mm. that, that is fantastic. Oh, like, And it's what you want to see. Like, because like we've seen it in, with people like Joe and we've seen it with people like Zoe and Jamie and go, again going all the way back and it's the hallmark of a good companion is mm. the ingenuity to drive their part of the story when separated by the doctor yeah and like I don't know about you but I was like when she got captured and was in the city I was like 
come on, more cuts to the city, please. I want to see her yeah. in her, like her own very like kind of Kali Ma type fucking situation. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was getting serious vibes of that. Would you would you count this on the list of times Sarah has been hypnotized? No, I think there's a very, no? there's a big difference between being hypnotized and being drugged into a stupor, which is what she was there. Okay. Okay. I like okay for me hip, hypnotism is akin to mind control for yeah. you for an ulterior motive. Okay. I think this is part of a sacrificial ceremony so that the the fucking victim doesn't you know struggle as much. So I I wouldn't view this as a, a hypnotism thing. I would view this as a drugging scenario. Okay, there, there will be a story we get to later that will have both, and, and we'll see if your if your distinctions between the two holds <laughs> up. Possibly, I don't know. Um, I also liked her determination not to leave the doctor. Yeah. When I like, you know, Bilal was like, "Oh, but there's nothing that we can do." Is like, "Well, could we at least fucking try?" Yeah. Not not in so many you know a tone or words. Yeah, I think we're already seeing her dedication to the doctor really coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when she comes to after her drugging or whatever, um, she's clearly very concerned about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know we are seeing the building of a really good relationship between the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's not as in a sort of a like, well, he's my ride home sort of scenario. No, it's a, it's yeah. a genuine compassion there. Yeah. Um, which is great. I'm sure she's also thinking he is my ride home shit. Yeah. Um, but there's a genuine compassion there. She's clearly trying to like I love that there's moments where she tries to get a rise out of him. Mm-hmm. Where she's like, I'm not really dressed, am I? And he's like, You obviously know this isn't Florana. And you can <laughs> yeah. tell she's like, I know, asshole. I'm just trying to make a joke. Yeah. Um yeah. clearly sort of, you know, testing each other's humor and and yeah. stuff like that, like all yeah. in a all in a good way. Do you know what I mean? All in a in a positive way. I know you're a time lord. <laughs> yeah, for that's like I keep the, fucking mentioning it. Like that's further down the line, but I just love that line. Yeah. Um, also, I love her outfit. Which um, one? Both. I loved. I love her little swimsuit. It's adorable. Yeah. Uh, it's my favorite swimsuit of hers. We will see her in a swimsuit in a later story. I like this mm. one better. Um. And I also love how she continues to use the like ruffle of the swimsuit in her little jumpsuit thing. Um, so yeah, really liking the clothes in this one. Does Time Warrior hold the record for most costume changes by her in a single story? I think so, because yeah. you have introductory clothing, you have her, uh, Robin, Robin, her Hood. Robin Hood outfit, you have her monk outfit, you have her waiting woman outfit. Yeah, so she has four in that one. In most other stories, she'd have one or two. Is the monk outfit in the top trump stick? I don't know. I don't know. I need to double check. Yeah, because is is that considered an outfit then? If it's not in the top trump stick, that's a very good point. <laughs> I don't know. The top trump stick will get me from the side of the room. I may have to go check this in a minute. Okay. Um. But yeah, no, I I love her outfit. I think it's very cute and adorable. Um, I also love the fact that she can't. She clearly can't swim. <laughs> only because I only learned how to swim in my thirties. <laughs> Sarah Jane's twenty three, so I'm like, yeah. No, if I was going to like a strange beach, I would probably want floaties with me too. Oh, so I will move on to Bilal. Do you want me to start with Bilal so you can go and look at the top? Yeah, you, deck? you start with Bilal. One second. <laughs> but obviously, Paddy, you hold a second when I go get the deck. But you will start with Bilal while I'm looking through the deck. One second. Okay, your thoughts on Bilal. 
while I'm looking this up. So I think initially he's being portrayed as a very strong character um, in the sense of like, he's obviously the head of his particular faction. And I like the fact that like, he's like the knowledge dump for uh, how the story, like, you know, like what the excellence were and like their great city and their great civilization. Um, but as it goes on, I think he becomes the screaming companion of the story, as it were. But it's I think it's very understandable why. Because he is thrown into the city with the doctor, the one place that him and his people fear the most. And he's relying on a stranger to help keep him alive. And he wants to help, but it's clear throughout that his fear is hampering him, which is what I think adds to like the, the doctor looking after him in, a, in the sort of... Um, treating him like a companion side of things you know hmm. and like that's why because like you know Bilal doesn't really contribute a whole lot other than exposition but I think he really gets across the fear of the city yeah no I would agree um I think in terms of his contribution he's basically an information dump yeah but he's an adorable information dump um he like he is and like actually no, like we'll, we'll 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 discuss like the design of the excellence when we talk about the excellence on mass in a while, but he's he's shorter. Like him and his faction seem to be shorter than all the other excellence. Well, imagine this is they have to live underground. Yeah, because we have no idea how long this rift, like how many generations this rift has been going on between the two different factions so like this is this could be like a sort of like a a monoptera and optera type scenario hmm. yeah no okay so sarah jane clothing top trumps mm-hmm. um for the time where we actually only have two outfits in the deck which are her suit and tank top so the mm-hmm. the nice version there is also the version from invasion, invasion and the serving wench dress so neither the monk nor the Robin Hood outfit are in it. Um, for anyone who's interested, uh, the top trump, the top trumps deck agrees with me that the like suit and vest outfit looked better in Time Warrior than it does in Invasion Browsers. <laughs> uh, it beats the fabulous fabulousness score. It's ten for Time Warrior, nine for Thing. And for this story, we have both. So we have the swimsuit by itself and the brown, like, play dress type thing. Yeah. And of the two of them, I think... Maybe the swimsuit scores higher. Well, this goes lower on functionality, which... It's a swimsuit. It's obviously less functional. So yeah, I think... Bilal is just a total cutie. He's just a total sweetheart, like to be. <laughs> and he's so adorable. Um, I think he works very well as a sort of. Um, he works very well as a guide, and he works very well as a sort of innocent native that needs to be protected. If that if that makes sense. Um, and I do love the relationship the doctor has with him because, like, he clearly is trying to take care of him and stuff. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think Bilal is probably the cutest story-based companion we've had for a while. No, I'd agree. I'd agree. So, we'll go on to the prominent characters next. Yeah. So, we had, first and foremost, we had Jill, then Hamilton, then Galloway. 
Yeah, we have Jill, who you called Janet for some reason when you sat on the list. I no, because I had Rocky Horror uh, stuck in my head. So like, I was like, damn it, Janet. (laughs) We'll do Jill first. I don't have a whole lot to say about Jill, to be honest. She seems nice. Yeah, like, no, it's nice to see another female character for Sarah Jane to work alongside. I like that. Mm. Um, And like... (laughs) Again, see, it comes in with the fact that there's two different stories being told and it actively takes away from the impact that certain characters are going to have. So, like, I think if you didn't have the Daleks in it, right, mm. and if you just had the humans versus the Exelons, then, like, hers is in her civilian capacity as the geologist. Having her stand up to Galloway with Sarah Jane by her side, that could have been kind of cool. Yeah. Because I think that's where it was leading. Yeah. No, I, I'd agree. I just... We don't get to see a whole lot from her, is the downside. She seems nice. That's really all I can say about her. She seems like a nice lady. And the same can be kind of said about Hamilton as well, like because we get this... We're given like a seed to the character, and his whole thing mm. is that he hates the Daleks because his dad died in a previous conflict with them. Yeah. But that then is completely superseded by the dual story going on. And like, there's no whole thing about how Stuart wanted him to be the one in command. Um, we don't have him. Like he, he very quickly turns against Galloway in terms of his mentality towards the doctor and Sarah Jane. Like he's very much, mm. they're humans. We need to keep them alive. I think so they're on our side. And then yeah. that's more or less dropped. I think. Yeah, like, I think with Hamilton, I think he has a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. Do you know? And he's very aware of the present situation. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a big fan of putting their lot in with the Daleks in the first place because of his personal experience. Yeah. And he definitely isn't going to sell out other humans in favor of Daleks. No. Like, fuck no. Um, The one thing that I always find found weird when I was watching this, which is, why the fuck did Stuart say to Galloway, you're not in charge, Hamilton is? Say it to Hamilton, you idiot. Yeah, that's such a... Or say it to both of them together. Like, obviously Galloway wasn't going to give up command. What sort of stupid nonsense is that? And I I wonder if it would have been different if Hamilton had been in charge. Because I don't know what else he could have done differently, to be honest. Like, it's... Like, we've mentioned before, like, how there was, like, go nothing... Sorry, go nowhere story points in others mm. like you know for example evil of, the, evil of the daleks there was a couple of points that where it was like where is this leading absolutely nowhere yeah. but again you didn't really care because you were so focused on the one story being told mm. whereas here it's like let's like what like what is the story is it like are you caught like are you like are you caught in the middle of a religious war or is it you know unlikely allies trying to overcome a common obstacle is a combination of the two like what the fuck is it yeah um like we never see hamilton or galloway interact directly with the excellence so like the only people we know that had a a one-on-one conversation with them is the daleks yeah so like i don't know i I mean hamilton seems like a nice guy again you know good head on his shoulder whatever but not really developed at all no, absolutely not. And then when it comes to to Galloway, yeah, like <laughs> Galloway's a dick. 
Oh, he's a um, fucking prick. In, in multiple ways. So, like, I do agree with the original commander. Like, the Galloway seems to be all for personal gain and personal, like, glorification. And he clearly is, like, you know, like, he wants to bring back everything and be the hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the fact that he disregarded a dying man's words is just an indication of how much of a dick he is. Mm. Although, again, to my point, like, Stuart should have said it to Jill or said it to Hamilton not saying it only to Galloway, that made no fucking sense. Yeah, your dying word to the fucking guy you don't think is suitable for command, like, you know, is to tell yeah. him you don't think he's suitable for command. Yeah, and, That's not and gonna... actually, to be quite vicious about it as well. Yeah. Like, Stuart did not... <laughs> he wasn't being polite, like... <laughs> you were a great disappointment to your mother and I. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Galloway, you know, clearly, he's a very much an ends justify the means type of person. Hmm. Um, which, you know, we don't really like seeing from our human characters. You know, we like to see our human characters be heroic and being nice. Yeah. You know, the idea that he would sell the Doctor and Sarah up Shit's Creek, the idea that he had no problem using the Exelons as slave workers. Like, any complaint he had against that was nominal at best. But yeah, because he's he's confusing in the sense of, right, he's initially portrayed as a racist elitist. Because like, yeah. he's racist against the excellence because, like, ah, they're just fucking primitives. And then there's this whole mm-hmm. elitist thing over, like, oh, like, you know, the Doctor and Sarah Jane, just because they're humans doesn't mean that, you know, we have to look after them. We have bigger fucking, we have more important shit to look after here, you know? And it's like, well, you know, they could be an asset to you in the fact that, you know, you don't have a ship, you don't have power. But then it's like, the shot, you know, it's like, you, know, you want what, what, you want more excellent workers? Like, the priests want to go in for that. It's like, are you objecting to the use of the slave labor force? Or are you just objecting to being ordered around? Because, yeah. like, he's a very confusing character. And then, it's like, if you were trying to redeem him by his noble sacrifice at the end, you fucking failed miserably. Because I think it comes across as him being stupid. It, it, the way that it's shot, it comes across like he doesn't realize that the ship has taken off. Because he looks very yeah, shocked when the bomb goes off. That he doesn't realise the bomb has a timer. Yeah. Which they've previously used. Because like, yeah, so, he, he, like, he dies with this big shocked look on his face. And I'm like, so he's an idiot. Yeah, like either it's that he wanted to go out in a blaze of glory. Mm-hmm. So that like he'll be remembered as the guy who self-sacrificed in order to blow up the Dalek ship. But he's, but he's actually just a moron. He didn't realise it had a timer. Or at least he didn't know how to set it. Like, it was a good idea, but, like, implemented really badly. <laughs> like, like, I was just, like, going, cool, so he, so he's dead. That's one less pain in the ass for Hamilton to deal with. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the other bit that worries me now is that, like, Jill said she needed Hamilton and Galloway in order to fly the ship. <laughs> so did his self-sacrifice just fuck the other two over? No, I think it's a case of Hamilton can like maybe just the fact that she's not an experienced pilot, so maybe Hamilton can just guide her through what needs to be done. Maybe, but like she did say, she needed both of them. Mm. Um, True. and so I'm like, did, did his self sacrifice just undo all the good <laughs> that she and Sarah Jane Well, well did? M- maybe she needed Galloway for the ship, but maybe she just like needed Hamilton. Oh, <laughs> 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 mm. uh, I don't know. I think for our prominent characters, there wasn't a lot of development. Uh, this week, the the most interesting one being Galloway, who's a dick. Yeah, <laughs> like there's there's absolutely no. He's just annoying. That that that's yeah. The, he's just an annoying character. 
Yeah, a new mine, but the original commander yeah. who was uh what's his face from the Ambassadors of Death. Yeah. Um Captain Rails. He he seemed kinda cool. He did. And I was like the <laughs> I was looking forward to seeing more of him. Because he played a, he played the dick character before. I was looking forward to seeing him play a nice character. Yeah, like no, like I think it was a bad call by Barry and Terence to throw Daleks into the story. Because yeah. if okay, if you were going to do that, then you should have made it into a six parter. Because what we have here yeah. is we have two stories. We have two different four parter stories thrown into the one four parter mix, and they both suffer for it. Yeah. No, I'd agree. I'd agree. So onto our villains. We have Exelons and Daleks. So Daleks are a bit of they're kind of drama queens, aren't they? Like I mean like they take failure so hard that they self destruct. <laughs> yeah. Although in fairness kudos to them for being Daleks. Our guns don't work. Okay, well, we need to fucking fix this. Yeah, like, I... Okay, we fixed it. Great. Thanks. <laughs> kudos to where it's due. Like. I really, really enjoyed that. I thought it was, like, there's the whole thing of, you know, you, like, see people come up with the thing, the stories of, like, oh, how, like, to get around the Daleks. Ah, oh, you know, you go up a flight of stairs or you just, as we've seen lately, just run around them in a circle, you know? <laughs> but yeah. we actually get to see their ingenuity. Like, they're on the back foot here. So they just essentially give themselves machine guns. Yeah, we also find out that, like, so in the very first Dalek story, mm-hmm. they actually make a point that the Daleks move using basically what moves bumper cars. Yeah. So the sort of electrical charge mm-hmm. in the paneling of the floor. And obviously they've grown and evolved since then because we've seen Daleks going around on city streets and whatever. Yeah. But I like the fact that here we sort of, they're like, well, they don't use electricity anymore to move. No. They use psychokinetic energy, um, which you're like, okay, cool. What does that mean? <laughs> but like, I like the fact that they're like, no, it's not like they have evolved greatly from the bumper cars smell. Yeah, that they had in the original Dalek story. They, they really, they really have. And like, I know that we talked about. I think we had gotten to a stage where, definitely post the chase. The development of the Daleks was kind of stagnating, where it was like yeah. there was nothing new being added to the table. Maybe with Daleks' master plan, we got to see a bigger scope of the Dalek military infrastructure. Mm. But then, like as it was kind of stagnating, then going forward, whereas here we get to see their definitely like their MacGyvering skills come to the fore as such. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I think that actually made for a couple of visually stunning moments. Like, okay. It was a bit of your know, cheesy when they were testing their weapons by blowing up the little scaled model of a TARDIS. <laughs> I thought that was cool. But I, I, I visually enjoyed the sequence where they tested out on the two excellence and like they just did that effect of where imagine like machine gun fire going across a wall and it just dust mm. f- coming up and then it hits the two bu- guys and they fall off the cliff, or when they yeah. when they raid the temple and you have them be- the excellence being mowed down by machine gun fire, mm. like. I'm not, like it's cool in the sense of it's a visually it's very well executed visually to get across. Yeah, it also it also in my mind it makes the Daleks more scary. It oh it does. It does. Um the fact that they can use projectile weaponry if they need to. Mm-hmm. Um makes them all the more scary. And also like I mean if you consider the fact that like going across the um the energized floor. Yeah. 
Though Dalek that went second shot the floor so he didn't get electrocuted, mm-hmm. but didn't really matter to the first one. He was still fine. Might be a little bit singed on the inside, but he was grand. Like I thought that they were actually going to do something different with that. So he said that his conductive shielding was down. Mm. And we saw that in the next room, Bilal was hypnotized into trying to kill the doctor. Yeah. I was half expecting the non-damaged Dalek to actually fucking kill the one with the broke with the damaged shielding. I thought something like that would happen as well, but we didn't get to see that room from their point of view. No, we didn't. They just appear and they immediately open fire on the the antibodies, yeah. which again was a really visual, cool, stunning scene because they recoil from the, the impact of the bullets, but they keep. But then they keep going. They keep going on. I was like, mm-hmm. it was it was visually visually cool to look at. Yeah. So like while um, oh, Michael Bryant the director mm. while he may have been bored doing it he did some v- amazing cinematography i think yeah i would agree i would agree um and then we have the excellents who in my mind are weirdly developed and kind of badly designed like balal looks cool like the the good excellents look cool i like their look but the other ones who are just covered in a sheet I wasn't a big fan of the design because, like, there obviously we know like that once we're in the ornate cha- or the sacrifice chamber, like there's two types. There's like the brown ones who seem to be like the rank and file, and then the priest mm. are like, the red skull, which I was kind of yeah. giggling at. Um, mm. But and again, I was getting real big vibes of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. But yeah, no, like in terms of like the development for. Well, like, why is it that one groups look one way? Okay, we're to assume that Bilal's group are are living in the caves. We're to assume yep. that based on the fact that we're first introduced to two of them in the fucking caves. But like, why are all the priests red? Why are everyone else brown? Is like, like is it proximity thing? Is it a habitat thing? We don't know what it is. Um, mm. I for one wanted to know more about. I I thought the concept of the city being like a god to them mm. like it reminds me of two things it reminds me of beneath the planet of the apes yep. and it also reminds me a bit of colony in space with the native yep. with the natives and the doomsday weapon and you know why I, I really enjoyed that story because i was talking about like the religious fanaticism that i felt was being done or being presented mm. there i felt like it was almost going to be in this story as well but they just didn't explore it at all. Yeah, like the thing that I find with this is that we, other than the sacrifice scene and the bow and arrow scenes are quite cool as well. They're shot yeah, really well. I, I actually thought that yeah, um, the ambush sequence was really cool. Really, really cool. The ambush sequence was very good. Um, and then we have the sacrifice scene. We don't actually hear from the bad excellence at all. We have the other characters saying what the excellence said. Mm-hmm. So we don't actually see them interacting with the Daleks. We don't see them. We don't hear them talking about the sacred city other than you can't go there. Only the priests can go there. And I think they're just underdeveloped. Um, we don't know anything about them. We know more about Bilal mm-hmm. as an individual than we do about the Exelons who took up the first like two and a half stories. Or two stories. So, And I don't know about you, but... If I was to split the two stories, okay, if I was to have a preference, which story do I want to see? Um, mm. Humans and Daleks. If you take the Exelons out of it, okay, if you just have them yep. arriving on a planet that's energy drained by some 
abandoned yeah. device. Let's not bring the sentient city into it. Abandoned device. And it's humans mm-hmm. and Daleks working together to overcome that. If you take that story versus the Doctor Sarah Jane and a group of humans trying to get off a planet that is in the midst of like this religious fervor over a sentient city and teaming up with the the heretical Exelons. Mm. Which story do you want to see? The second one. I I want to see that one as well. Yeah. Because like enemy like enemy of my enemy is my friend, that kind of thing. It's like it's it's grand. But if I'm given the option But they're Daleks. Yeah, they're, they're Daleks. Daleks. Yeah, exactly. If I'm given the option of the two, I want to see the religious nutbag story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I'd agree. I'd agree. So, we arrive at the end. Did we ever have the beginning? Oh, that's a bit hard. <laughs> look, look, I'll go first, right? Cool. The one thing I'll say about this story is that it is slow. Slow as balls. And nothing really happens. I actually, um, not to kind of completely contradict, but like for me, I actually thought it was very fast because I was like doing the recaps for this in like 35 minutes. So I was like, this is great. Well, yeah, but it's fast and that, but like it's slow and that nothing fucking happens. Yeah. Do you know, it's going from one scene to the next. Where the fuck is the action? Where the fuck is the, like, we have a couple of action sequences, two that stand out in particular. Mm-hmm. But, like, the story isn't that interesting. I have to say as well, the supporting cast, very stilted acting and not very believable. I think the acting from all three of them was very below par. Mm -hmm. Like, Bilal is amazing, but he's even more amazing in contrast to the other three. Yeah. Just because their acting is so stilted. Like, you can tell that they don't know where their line of sight is, they're not very believable. They're just reading words. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we've seen some amazing supporting casts in some way more bonkers stories than this one. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that really sort of took from it. Like, the two things I love about this story, I actually liked Sarah Jane. Mm-hmm. I think she should have been given more to do, but I liked what she did do, and I love her outfit. Mm-hmm. And I liked Bilal. And that's it. Cool. So for that, the story gets a two. Like, like Bilal, there we go, two. Um, everything else, like, we, we spoke the other week about how, like, you know, oh, all Sarah Jane's stories start with a five. Yeah. Um, but when we did comment that there were going to be one or two clunkers, yeah. this is definitely a clunker mm-hmm. in my mind for her run on the show. Um, I think for the third Doctor's run as well, like, to your point, like, we've had stories where, you know, there were six episodes and we thought they should have been two fours. Yeah. This was a four-parter that should have been a six yeah. or two fours. Yeah. Like there isn't enough time for either story to develop. And so like, I mean, a cliffhanger was the floor for fuck's sake. <laughs> it was the floor. But <laughs> the cliffhanger was the floor and not even the, it was a pattern on the floor that we don't know what it does. Like it looked like a tablecloth. He was mm. afraid of a tablecloth. Um, so for me, like, I just, like, this is a definite pass. I don't think there's anything in this story that is like, oh, well, like, you definitely don't want to miss this. If I see Sarah Jane braining someone with a wrench or whatever, yeah. If you want to see through the eye of a Dalek, maybe. 
I think the only time like a patterned floor is dangerous is if Robert Patrick just slowly starts to emerge from it wearing a police officer's uniform. Yeah. <laughs> um, like like for me, like the thing with this story is that like you know, it was it had an interesting concept. Like the city of the excellence is really interesting. Mm-hmm. It was just done really badly. And do you know what the weird thing is that Michael Bryant had to put in all these amazing shots, like the ambush scene. Yeah. The attack on the Dalek, um, and a handful of others, to make up for the fact that he had nothing in the script. It was just silence for a lot of the first episode. <laughs> people walking. <laughs> so for me, it was a two, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. How about you? Like, okay, now I would say that this isn't an out and out terrible story, right? No, but it's very, very forgettable <laughs> in terms of like the plot. Like, it's like. Kind of like Carnival of Monsters, there's two stories being told here, and like they're hamstringing each other severely. And much like Carnival of Monsters, um, if you pick the focus on the more interesting one, Carnival of Monsters' more interesting story was what's happening in the Miniscope, you know. Mm. And if you have a different setting, it's way better than that fucking stupid political intrigue with the fucking Three Stooges going on mm. here. The religious aspect of the fucking God City is so much more interesting than humans and Daleks trying to work together to overcome like an energy drain. It's so much mm. more interesting, and because like you're getting re- real Temple of Doom vibes, but you're also getting like you know Aztec or like Native American, like you know lost civilization vibes from mm. it, and. Like, I really, really wish that they had gone down that angle because yeah. I completely agree that from the supporting cast, with the exception of Bilal, um, there, there's nothing. Like, there's absolutely no defining character there. Yeah. And, like, the f- fair dues to the guy playing Bilal, like, and, you know, he's wearing the prosthetic. But, Jesus, he actually does a really good job of making you see his emotions, you know? Yeah. Making you see his fear. So that's great. Um what stands out to me in terms of you know progression based things for our characters or is like i love seeing the ingenuity of the daleks i think while they're taking a step back technologically it's actually advancing them as an entire species to show like how really good at adapting to their scenario they are Mm. um the i think i've given this a 2.5 and that's entirely down to the cinematography aspect of it i think Mm the sequence where Sarah Jane batters the fuck out of the Exelon is very reminiscent of Susan's scissor attack in Edge of Destruction mm. or like even like, you know, with the, the you know, Alfred Hitchcock psycho, just like the fact, cause you're mm. seeing it from a certain perspective and it's great. I thought that was really, really well done. Um, while Sarah Jane has nothing really new to her characteristics, it's actually nice seeing her overcome her fear to, kind of save the day for the humans essentially like she's the hero like she's like the one that kind of saves the day she realistically is mm. more so than the doctor um the wonderful cinematography done for the attack over the sand pit with like all the arrows thunking yeah. around and the spears uh the visual sequences where the daleks uh, machine guns are essentially shredding through the excellence wonderful wonderful stuff and like credit to all the actors the, the extras for selling it uh, for michael bryant for actually shooting it in such a great way um even the death of the city because they, they say like oh it's a, it's a sentient city you know fair enough but then you actually hear its death cries 
that's a really really nice touch i think uh mm. because whatever about the doctor like you actually kind of do f- what whatever about his actual intentions his words do strike a chord that while it was while it was uh, malevolent to some extent it's passing as something that you're never going to be like its existence is something that you're never going to see again and it's passing a sort of sad in a way you know Mm. um like in the sense of okay if it's a it's a it's a programmable thing reprogram it to be good you know yeah um so i've given it a 2.5 because it's just aspects of the story as opposed to the story itself yeah i think i i had originally given it a 2.5 and i actually dropped it to a 2 during our conversation the reason why is because i also gave day of the daleks a 2.5 um which we both agreed was also kind of a shit story mm-hmm. yeah the difference with day of the daleks day of the daleks was at least fucking interesting um in the sense of the time travel was an interesting concept and stuff like that yeah um the difference here is that like and this isn't to take away from your 2.5 mm-hmm. that's fine Everything you said there, yeah. cinematography and whatever, it's making up for the fact there's no script. Yeah. Do you know, like we've previously said that we don't care if the cinematography is shit, we don't care if the special effects are shit, if the story is good. Mm-hmm. Here it's the and op- I would say the same in reverse. Yeah. I don't care if the cinematography is great, I don't care if the, you know, the makeup is great. I don't care if the special effects are great. If the story is shit, mm. <laughs> then the story is shit. Yeah. Um, and in my case, I would usually let the actors pick it up as well. I would usually give the actors some benefit. But I said, other than the guy who played Bilal, the rest of them just sort of let it swing. And maybe that's Michael's fault that he didn't really understand the story, so he didn't really know what to get out of them. But like. I don't think so. Yeah, I, um, I think probably there was there's a fair bit of apathy to go. The, the share of the apathy should go around probably to Bob Holmes because you know he didn't doesn't particularly care for the Daleks, so maybe that was a, a factor into it as well. John's tenure is winding down, like maybe mm-hmm. so he's kind of. It's not to the, it's not the same extent as like Patrick Troughton and Fraser Hines and uh, Wendy Padbury with the Space Pirates, you know, where that just yeah. like. Christ, was that a fucking that? That's almost like a Zoom table read, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's it, it's weird because like I'd agree with you. Know, I would always agree that um, if the script isn't if the script is engaging and the acting is good, mm. you don't care about the ropey effects or how how visually bad something looks. But here, it's like I would like if I'm to go back and watch any of these sequences, it's the sequences I talked about there. Because those are the yep. only thing that would draw me back to this story. Hmm. Like it's it's sort of the um, Star Wars prequel, and to some people, it's my Star Wars sequel effect. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter that they're more flashy mm-hmm. and they've better special effects. If the stories aren't as good, mm-hmm. then they're going to rank lower. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. Like I knew this was coming up. I this is literally a story I've only watched once before. I clearly didn't like it the first time because mm-hmm. even though I've rewatched most of Sarah's stories multiple times over over the years, this is one I have I watched it once when I bought the DVD, and that was it. Yeah, and I watched it again yesterday. Yeah, like I I've only I've only watched it, like this is my second time watching this one now. Yeah. So. 
hopefully this is the only clunker in the bunch. Um, but yeah, so just in case anyone thought we were going to give Sarah like fives and fours for all her stories, nope, we can still be critical. Um, <laughs> There's at least one more clunker that I can think of, but we we could be very surprised, you know. With uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see if that's going to turn out to be a clunker or not. Yeah. It is in my mind, but it's also been a long time since I watched it. Yeah, so we'll see. Anyway, next week though. We will be joining the Doctor and Sarah when they revisit an old friend in the Monster of Paladon. Ooh. Haroon, Haroon, Haroon. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So until then, guys, bye. Bye.